Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. It's the second half of my conversation with two-time Fool Us performer Siegfried Tiber. If you've ever wanted to hear how one of the top card magicians in the world approaches his craft and how he thinks of his playing cards as more than just props, this episode is for you. Nick Lacapo stops by the show via Discord to discuss the featured download of the week from Ed Ellis. But before all that, we start off with one of our quickfire segments where we get fantastic magicians to talk to us about their favorite reading materials. The creator of Bipolar, Rom Cohen, and joins me this week on Desert Island Magic Books. Rom Cohen, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. Let's suppose you washed up on a desert island with one magic book and it's made of Tyvek, so it's not going to fall apart in the wind and the rain and the sand. What is your Desert Island Magic Book? Hey, Eric. So thank you for having me. Um, it's definitely got to be Body Magic by John Fisher. This was um, a book that expanded my thinking of not just thinking about uh, card tricks or coin tricks that I was able to use my own body and entertain people or or just make a memorable uh, moment for anybody that's fascinating book filled with so much detail and also like little pictures to help you understand what you're doing um and you know, there's like the classic things you'll find in there how, learning how to bend your finger maybe how your finger disappears but um it teaches you on like a little better level higher level than that so that sounds great i so i haven't seen this book before and you showed it to me a little bit off pod and there was some wild stuff in there like like suspending someone between two chairs and then like standing on their stomach or like uh you showed me some of the the finger stuff where like your middle finger is like bent down at the joint and then when you turn it over it's in sort of like the spock like live long and prosper position and then you turn your hand over and uh, again and then it's back to the the middle finger is bent and it seems like a really interesting genre of magic where you don't really need props, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, because you're always going to get off the uh, the offbeat of someone saying, hey, show me a trick. And you're like, oh, I left my deck of cards at home or I left my peak wallet or something. Yeah. Like, wait a second. Like, I, I, to what I know, nobody leaves their fingers at home. So... At least I hope not. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't leave my fingers at home when I go out, but, you know, it's uh, minor on with little padlocks on my hand, so. So it, it works, you know, whatever you got. But um, so you're always like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I could do something with my finger. I could do something with my ear. It, it teaches you so many just different ways to say, you know what? Maybe I don't have to be the classic guy who carries his cards all the time. And I always carry my cards, but um, yeah. there's always going to be that offbeat chance of just might not have carried them this time. You know, uh, there's some really, I mean, you know, one of my favorite tricks to watch people watch is Nick Lacapo doing the pinky thing, which of course is based on Mary You Did's finger act where he's, where he's literally taking his finger off and then putting it back on. And it's, it's just one of those things that's crazy to watch because there's something about watching someone do magic with their physical body that like, it just hits in a different way. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. It, I, it, it takes away from you are the classic uh, card guy who might maybe cheats at stuff mm -hmm. to this guy who could, do weird stuff with his body like it definitely makes you stand out even if everyone's doing it you're still standing out yeah it's almost it almost puts you in that like sort of like mutant like x-men type type thing where it's like how are they doing that like i know that what is happening isn't real but still like that's their body is like i assume that there are classic stuff in there like the arm twister illusion is probably in there Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The arm twister illusion. And actually, it's funny. Um, when I was born, my knuckle was had this weird thing where it kind of moves out of place. Ugh, so I just okay. I fit it, I fit it all into there where I'm able like, to move my knuckle really out of place. and My finger stays in a weird position oh. and then it bounces off and it, it, it makes people just freak out. It, it, 
it's it's epic. Uh, is there any other sort of like particular body tricks in that book that like really jump out to you? Um, I've always loved the one where you have like the two finger and you make like the the, the Darth Vader hypnosis where they kind of come together. Oh, I don't, I don't know this. So, so Rom, because this is audio, which is the perfect way to do illusions. Uh, <laughs> Rom is holding his, his hands in like a fist, and then he's got two fingers like, like up, fingers, like his like index, his index, index fingers, fingers are up. Are going to be pointing up, mm-hmm. and you as the magician, this is going to be respected. You as the magician, you're going to tell the other person, oh, like I'm going to take a, a rope and I'm going to start, um, start kind of putting it around those two fingers and actually your two fingers probably right now just touched right now yeah wow i was not i was 100 percent not expecting that to happen that totally worked that's almost like a like an idiomotor response or like a psychological thing because because they're natural to it and there's like another one where you you tell them like they have a balloon and like they have their hands out and one of them's flipped over Mm -hmm. hand up the other one's flipped over hand down and you tell them like you have a pile of books in one a balloon in the other and and a lot of it a lot of it you can use let's say for hypnosis yeah to help you to help because it's all natural body things you're using oh that's the one i've seen that in hypnosis where when you imagine the the balloon tied to your wrist when you open your eyes you're you're holding your hand up like you're trying to call for attention in class and uh yeah and that's in there too man this sounds like an amazing book that's just full of like impromptu stuff that people like every magician beginner expert should know to be able to just like do stuff with their body at a moment's notice because some of that like the one you just did with the index fingers was really good that worked over zoom for me yeah so yeah body magic by john fisher it's a fantastic book recommend it to anybody even if you're if you're a pro it's it's recommended that's so good thanks so much for joining us on the show rom thank you Thanks to Rom Cohen for joining me on the show. That sounds like a fantastic book. Now, I wasn't able to find it on Penguin Magic, which is not uncommon when the book is a little bit older like that one. But if you want to do some amazing magic with just your body parts, you should check out The Pinky Thing by Nick Lacapo or the really cool book Body Morphin by Andrew Maine. Both of those are very similar to a lot of the stuff that Rom and I talked about. I dropped links to both of those in the show description. Now, on to the main event. Last week, I talked to Siegfried Tiber about his second appearance on Foolish, as well as his foray into virtual magic. This week is a continuation of our conversation in which we begin to talk deeply about the way we approach cards, card magic, and what it means to us. Siegfried's mind is a really interesting place to walk around, and our chat definitely changed the way I view card magic, and it just might change the way you look at it, too. Now, as you know, I like to keep these episodes short so you have a chance to listen to everything. So I'm going to back up the audio a bit to just before the point where we started discussing card magic, so we'll lead in with the last few minutes of our conversation last week about adaptation to virtual magic, and then we'll get to the meat of our card magic discussion this week. So if some of it sounds like you've heard it before, now you know why. And now you get to join our conversation. Yeah, there's something about being a solo performer that is inherently lonely because if the show goes great, the only person you really have to celebrate with is yourself. And if the show goes poorly, the only person you have to commiserate with is yourself. And when you're doing that in a virtual space, it's even doubly so because you're still, even during the performance, you're still somewhat alone. Um, but it sounds yes. it sounds like you've figured out how to take some of that energy through the virtual through the screen and and figure out how to accept that uh, that the the positive energy coming in a different way. I like to think that, but for me, it was just getting over it, mm-hmm. trial by fire. Do it a few times, and for yourself to be comfortable with it. 
then again, nowadays I look forward to virtual performances. They it's got to the point where it's fun and it's exciting and you know that you have worked on the material, you know that you've done your homework in advance, you know that the material that you perform has impact. I've been reinforced by people's reactions and feedback. So now at this point, I finally internalized that what I do is worth doing and it mm -hmm. has an impact on people. It's, oh man, it's, it's interesting. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like a therapy session for yourself in addition to a performance, which is sort of, I wonder, I'm so interested to see how the uh, performers like you who are, have now flipped that switch and cr uh, sort of like gotten over that hump with, perf with virtual performances, man, when you get back to the in-person performances, I bet it's going to be just like, uh, you're, it's going to be like you've been swinging like with three bats or something like that, or, or, or punching with weights on for a while. Like you're going to be just flying in real life. I'd like to think that. Yes, I and I'm looking forward to returning to in-person performances. My mindset is I went through this journey mm -hmm. and I survived. Now all of this I know in one way or another will translate to in-person performances, both close up on stage. I know that the lessons I've learned will be useful in the future. And you're absolutely right. It, it, I sure hope it will feel like, okay, back to normal, weight off my shoulders, mm -hmm. now back to full performance mode. I want to I change subjects because I, I know your virtual performances are going to be wonderful and people should definitely check them out, but I wanted to talk to, some, up to you about something that I know you and I have in common, which is that we both do about 80 to 90% card magic. And we were talking a little bit before the show about how the treating the cards as an instrument is something that is important to you. And you, you had a kind of interesting and beautiful way to put it where it becomes less about the cards and more about life and death. And perhaps you could share that with our listeners. Absolutely. Yes, most of my work and my involvement with magic for the last 15-ish years have, has revolved around playing cards. And I think for many of us, playing cards are our gateway drug into magic. Mm -hmm. Something that I try to convey in my performances is that for me, the deck of cards is an instrument. I think magic has the potential, at least, to be an art form. I like to think of myself as an artist, because I put my heart and soul into it. And like, uh, like every artist has their instrument, playing cards are mine. I, I, I would think that the seed of this idea was planted in my mind by Roberto Giovi. Mm -hmm. He often talks about the deck of cards as his instrument. A violinist has his Stradivarius. I have a deck of cards. So that's not a new... An, an idea new to me, but it's something that I try to convey in performance. It took me about five years of thinking and exploration and soul searching to come upon this opening statement. Whenever I take a deck of cards out of its case in performance, 
I would tell people that playing cards represent chaos and luck. For some people, they even represent fate. Metaphorically speaking, he or she who can control the turn of a card can control chance. Now, what I'm about to do, I hope, will be informed by that. Now it's not a card trick. Now it becomes about the illusion, the, the, the fantasy of overcoming chance and chaos, of beating the odds. I think that makes good use of the metaphorical and symbolic value of a deck of cards. We were talking about this earlier. Um, I performed card warp for the longest time mm -hmm. in which you, one card almost visually turns itself inside out. Beautiful piece of conjuring. However, there was something that didn't feel right mm -hmm. about that performance piece. And at some point after thinking about it long, long and hard, I, I think I discovered it was because when you perform card warp, you are using playing cards. You're treating them as pieces of paper, not as playing cards. And card warp has been done with business cards and with bills and whatnot. Beautiful illusion, but the metaphorical element of playing cards is lost mm -hmm. because a deck of cards is a beautiful instrument for chance and chaos. There are, a deck of cards is composed of pursuits, 13 values that create 52 different symbols, each as unique and unlikely as each other. I think that's what gives meaning to pick a card, any card, lose it in the deck, and I find it. Because in finding a card that has been lost in the deck, it's a, we are overcoming chaos and emerging triumphantly. Because then again, there are 52 discrete elements. In card warp, the symbolic value of the cards, pursuit uh, 13 values, is completely irrelevant. In my mind, and then again, this is just my approach, mm -hmm. whenever I perform with a deck of cards, I try to convey that there's a reason for that, that there's a reason why I'm using this as my reason. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Ringnature from Ed Ellis. Nick LaCapo and I went back to the studio to talk about this totally impromptu discovery of a card with nothing more than a ring and a rubber band. Nick, there's a bunch of cool ring and rubber band routines, and Ed Ellis came out with a fun one called Ringnature. Yeah, this is a great trick. This is a great trick. Uh, basically, you can borrow a ring from a spectator, and you need a rubber band as well, and a deck of cards. You have them pick a card, it's signed, and then uh, it lost in the deck. You take the rubber band, you wrap it through the ring, you wrap the rubber band and the ring around the deck. I know that sounds like a, you know, maybe it sounds like a lot me saying it. it really isn't that big a deal. But you get to this really cool moment where the ring is, is locked in the rubber band and wrapped around the deck, and you just wave your hand over it, and the ring completely disappears, right? And then you spread through the cards and you find that the, uh, well, I shouldn't say just the ring. It's the ring and the rubber band disappear. You spread through the pack and you find the rubber band and the ring has now wrapped around one card and it is the signed selected card. 
this is a great trick. It's totally impromptu. Uh, this gets great reactions from audiences. I remember when we were out filming with people, uh, they were just blown away. <laughs> it's uh, fun. It's yeah. fun, especially if, you know, again, because it is impromptu, right? You don't mm-hmm. need anything other than, you know, the rubber band and to borrow a ring. So it's it's just a great sequence to put in any card set that you're, you know, you're messing around with for people because it's so different. Right, it is just such a different type of card trick. Yeah, when you show this to a lay person, it's one of those oh. things they're going to talk about because they've they just no idea. They they they've never seen anything like it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, and you just get this really awesome visual vanish. Oh, it's so pretty. Right, it it does look really great, and Ed's a great teacher, so you'll have a lot of fun. I mean, for for the cheap money, this is a great effect. Ringature by Ed Ellis. Check it out. That was Ringature by Ed Ellis, available on penguinmagic.com. As always, listeners to this podcast get 25% off the featured download of the week when you enter the discount code PENGUINPOD at checkout. That's P-E-N-G-U-I-N-P-O-D for 25% off. And if you pick up Ringature this week and send me a review via Instagram, I just might read your review on the air. Now, that discount is only good for Ringature and only good until the next episode of this show airs. A link to the product page is in the episode description below. Now, back to my conversation with Siegfried Tiber. With a deck of cards, I try to convey that there's a reason for that, that there's a reason why I'm using this as my instrument. I think that I, I love that thought, especially of, of emerging triumphant from chaos. And I, I think that symbolism is sort of inherent in cards constantly all the way through. I mean, they, they originally used as a divination tool and then for gambling. And, and if you if you think of cards as objects, um, the metaphor continues and it just changes what the metaphor is. Card warp, for example, could be um, almost like a like the twister. It could be a metaphor for the twister illusion or for uh, or for uh, transformation in, in turning one's oneself inside out. And depending on the card that was being used, particularly if if the if a divination type effect or or theme had been done recently with say you know the uh the the queen of clubs and you were you were talking about yourself and using the 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 symbolism of the queen of clubs and then furthering the symbolism or the metaphorical transformation of card warp with looking internally i think that i think we're you're i think you're absolutely there and i think that using that the the symbolism and metaphor inherent in a deck of cards and driving it further with some of the other stuff is important to think about because because cards are really the perfect medium for magic because magic is inherently all metaphor on on how we uh, interact with each other how we approach life and you can do so many things with them but i i love i love this idea of looking at the deck as more than an instrument, as an instrument of fate and playing with the instrument of fate. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, I, I agree with you. You could yeah. give meaning to card warp, but it requires a little thought. The scenario you presented, I love it, but it doesn't immediately translate. If I yeah, just I see. do card warp mindlessly with the four of clubs and the seven of diamonds mm-hmm. without any explanation behind it it will be a strong piece of conjuring but it might be a little meaningless Mm. Uh, i i I was found myself thinking about this recently uh 
Turn and Restore card has become a standard blocking mm -hmm. magic at this point. More often than not, it tends to be meaningless. Then again, beautiful piece of conjuring if it's well done. And you could maybe argue that the metaphor of Turn and Restore card is life and dead and dying and being reborn, that's all there. Granted, that symbolic value is in the piece and you cannot take it away from it, even if you try. Huh. However, if you just take a playing card and tear it to pieces and, and put it back together, ah, I think that it's not a deep... It, it doesn't convey a deep idea. Darwin Ortiz created a presentation in which um, he talks someone into, in a funny tongue-in-cheek way, talks someone into signing a card, which proves that it's the same card, and then it is revealed that the card is an IOU for $10,000 or mm -hmm. whatnot. So now the playing card represents $10,000. Mm -hmm. He tears it to pieces, then puts it back. Now it has become meaningful. Remember what Copperfield did in one of his specials, probably in the 80s. He took this baseball card oh, worth yeah. a half million dollars, torn it to pieces. Now it has meaning. Now you better put the thing back together. I see what so, you're Yeah, the, the, the inherent metaphor inside of Torn and Restored is there but it requires an extra leap in logic to get from that to make the playing card meaningful. Whereas if we focus on the elements that are already inherently meaningful in playing cards in and of themselves, we don't have to apply this additional meaning. We don't, we don't have the, the spectator doesn't have to make the jump in logic. They're already there. They're already living inside this world with the cards. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's all about our focus in the performance. Mm -hmm. I, I love what Copperfield did with this. He's not mm -hmm. pushing hard at meaning and symbolism, but it's all there. Because this thing is worth half a million dollars, now we all know that it's important. I think that a large part of it comes to realizing what the meaning is and deciding whether we want to hide it or mm -hmm. highlight it. But, but I think it should be, if we aspire magic to be an art form, if we decide we treat it as an art form, I think that it sh all these should be conscious decisions, not left to chance. But it also seems like it should be an, effort, an effortless uh, way to get to that meaning and not requiring it being pushed or forced, because then... You feel you then you feel the the push towards the metaphor rather than being drawn to it naturally. Absolutely, Roberto Giovi. He would say that, that is one approach to magic, and I think it's very Spanish school of thought. Mm -hmm. I don't ha I don't agree in a hundred percent, but 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 I think he has a very 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 valid point. He would say that presentation, adding presentation to a trick is like putting salt on steak. It should emphasize the flavors mm. rather than hiding them. On the other hand, if you take a fine piece of steak and dunk it into ketchup, mm. you 
have obliterated what was initially there. Now all you are tasting is the ketchup. What you have put in on top, you have lost what was at the core of it. I think we should all be st- strive to be the salt and not the ketchup. Siegfried, this has been uh, a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast, and I hope to have you back very soon. I sure hope so. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me here. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks again to Siegfried Tiber for the great conversation, and thanks to you for listening. Next week on the show, we get back to my original plans of sharing with you a conversation between me and my oldest friend in magic, Farrell Dillon. Before he was headlining Disney cruise ships around the world and appearing on Masters of Illusion, he and I were palling around the Magic Castle and booking underground magic shows in Los Angeles, California. You know what? We're going to talk about it. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episode on the social media platform that you mess with scammers on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you're going to have to come see me this weekend at the Keller Club in Erie, Pennsylvania. That's right. I'm doing my first in-person show in a heck of a long time, and I need to see if I can remember my own tricks. Will Nick the Duck make an appearance? You bet he will. But if getting to one of the newest magic venues in the country is going to be a little too difficult for you, feel free to hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Theater, practice, practice, get vaccinated. 